Good morning once again. Uh, we're continuing our Lord's Prayer series, um, and this morning we're looking at Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 35. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 25, which you can see on the screens in front of you. This is the parable of the unmerciful servant. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he, his wife, and his children, and all that he had to be sold to repay the debt. At, the same, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of God. Amen. What's going on, Renaissance? My name is Jordan. Uh, I am one of the pastors here. Uh, major shout out to everybody that's here, especially if you're here for the first time. Uh, I realize how difficult it could be to walk into a church or a church building. Uh, a lot of you guys who are here, especially if it's your first time back in a while, uh, maybe you might have had some pretty negative experiences with people in church. And uh, as a matter of fact, uh, one of the most difficult and painful situations that I've ever had came at the hands of people that were in church. Uh, years ago, some of you guys might know my story, um, I lost my late wife to cancer. Um, and we had joined the church, and we were extremely, extremely involved in everything that was going on in the church. Uh, I did the setup for the church, which uh, if you do setup, that means God loves you a little bit more than he loves everybody else. Uh, and we joined a community group, and the community group was, uh, we would sit around every single week, bring meals, break bread together, uh, but when times got really hard, I really struggled, um, people weren't there for me. Uh, so we joined the community group, found out my wife had cancer, and as we were there, uh, I would reach out to people and say, hey, can you, can you help? Can you come by the hospital? Because I'm kind of drowning over here. Um, and if you're like me, it's not easy to ask for help when you need it. Uh, I'm much happier to give people help than it is for me to actually ask for help or to receive it myself. So by the time I got to the point where I was asking for help, I was already drowning uh, a lot. I reached out for help and asked people to come by and come see us, and nobody showed up. Uh, at first, it was just text messages that people would give us, encouraging scriptures here and there, trusting the Lord with all nine heart, lean not into your own understanding, and and all I ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct their paths. Um, uh, but eventually, as her condition got worse, e even those text messages stopped to come. And she passed away, um, and at the funeral, 
Nobody showed up. Uh, none of the people that I had sat around a room with and talked about Jesus, talked about life, talked about community, nobody showed up. Nobody called, texted, emailed, Facebooked, Snapchat. Uh, what are the things that the kids are doing these days? Uh, they didn't do anything. Uh, and for two months, nobody said a, a word. And I was boiling mad. Here I am, uh, a member of this church, a member of this community group, uh, and I'm at the point where I'm the most vulnerable, where I'm asking the most questions about God, I'm asking the most questions about life, and the people who were supposed to be here for me, they, they dropped me like a bad habit. And I was feeling like everybody, they were all types of hypocrites. Two months later, I had lunch with one of the pastors, and he said, hey, how is everything going with your community group? I'm sure they've been really good for you. And to his horror, um, I said, hey, actually, I haven't heard anything from them, from anybody. Nobody has reached out. Now, it just so happened that the head of my community group also was on staff at the church. Uh, so surprisingly, coincidentally, I got a call that afternoon from the leader that, so, you know, that had it on his mind to reach out to me and... For whatever reason, today was the day that he, he reached out. And he asked to meet. He said, hey, whenever you're available to meet, doesn't matter. Um, I'll rearrange my schedule so that you and I can sit down, have lunch or coffee and catch up so we can know what's going on in your life. Now, a piece of me almost didn't take the meeting, but then I was like, yo, I got so much stuff to tell this dude. <laughs> oh, I'm definitely taking this meeting. I had a list of all the things uh, that I was going to tell him as soon as uh, we sat down. But he said something as soon as we sat down that actually uh, threw me for a loop. Uh, I was pretty taken aback. He sat down, he says, hey, brother, I really messed up. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? So I reached across the table and I slapped him in the face. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do. Um, Uh, but I sat there stunned, shocked, and I knew that I was going to have to learn the hard lesson of what it looks like to forgive someone. Now, forgiveness is one of those things that is really difficult for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, um, we're telling people who have been wronged that you have to forgive someone else. So it almost feels like we're adding to the plate of all the stuff that you're juggling because now on top of the pain that you've just felt, on top of the wrong, now you have to forgive someone. And it feels burdensome. And uh, this is, I want to be very cautious about how we, we talk about this, this today. Uh, I fully believe that forgiveness is one of these things that God doesn't want anything from you. God wants something for you. And that is a, a much bigger distinction that you guys have to make before we get into any of this conversation about forgiveness. It is not something that God wants simply from you. It is not simply an act that God wants you to do. This is something that God wants for you because check this out. Uh, there is nothing, uh, there is no book in any library in this world that will teach you more about godliness, teach you more about the gospel than what it would look like for you to learn what it means to forgive someone. That if you really want to grow, and mature to be a follower of Jesus. If you want to connect to God, uh, you learning what it means to forgive someone is probably one of the ripest soils that you can ever be on to really learn, to really grow in your character, to be like Jesus. Um, but it's certainly not easy. We've been in a series called The Lord's Prayer, and we've been looking at these two lines of what it looks like to connect to God in prayer. And for the last number of weeks, we've been looking at this line by line, and basically this is what we've been saying. We're going to let Jesus tell us how we should connect to God. We're not going to come in with our own expectations. We're going to let Jesus 
tell us exactly what it means to live a life connecting to God. In the first week, we looked at Jesus reframing who it is that we're praying to. But you're not praying to your boss. You're not praying to your landlord. You are praying to a father. And the relationship of a father to a child is much different than a transactional relationship you have with your, your professor, your boss, or whoever it is. And we've gone week and week, and our Father who art in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven those uh, who have sinned against us or forgiven our debtors. In Matthew 6 and 12. And uh, we looked at something last week that most of us don't want to think about too often. Uh, most of us would like to probably sweep it under the rug, but you and I have a debt toward God. You and I do what Scripture calls is sin. And that basically means we missed the mark. And we missed the mark in one of three ways. And this is everybody. You don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a super church person to understand this. Uh, we do things that we weren't supposed to do. Even to your standards, even when I'm talking about the Bible standards, even your own standards, you do things that you knew you shouldn't have done. Things that you should have done, you didn't do it. And things that you know you should be doing more, you don't do it nearly enough. And here's what Jesus says about forgiveness, that God, that we need forgiveness, and simultaneously, God gives it. And that's actually one of the most beautiful things about the gospel. This is why they call the gospel the good news and not the good advice. This is what God has done for you not what you have to do. And living a life where the gospel is real to you is actually the thing that makes you, when you see the costliness of what Jesus did for you uh, and receive that forgiveness, that's the thing that has so much power to change your life. Um, last week, one of the most interesting things that I've noticed was that in most of the conversations I've had after the message, most people immediately jumped to forgiving other people. They started saying, well, you know, I have a, I'm having a hard time forgiving this person or that person or this person. And like, listen, all we talked about last week was you living as a forgiven person. What does it look like for you to live as if God has forgiven you? And we defined forgiveness in a couple of ways. Uh, forgiveness is to stop feeling anger towards someone who has done something wrong, to stop blaming someone, or to stop requiring payment of money that is owed or a debt that is owed. And, and this is the teaching of the gospel that if you have placed your faith in Jesus, that God is not mad at you. You can go to God in prayer. The scripture says in Hebrews, you can go to God with boldness because God is not angry with you. All of the anger of God has been laid on Jesus, that God is not blaming you for the things that you didn't do, that God doesn't have a list of things that he's telling you, you have to do this, this, and this in order for you to come to me. And God doesn't have uh, all of your debts that you have to pay. God has put all of our debts on Jesus, 100% there's a scripture in Colossians that was uh, the scripture we honed in on last week, and this is probably the scripture that if you're uh, looking for something to read as a devotional thought, read this every single morning. Uh, Colossians 2, 13 to 15, it says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all your sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is what scripture says. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, he doesn't give you a Febreze of your sin where he sprays it, and for 30 minutes, everything smells like mountain fresh, and then it comes back uh, later. That Jesus takes away your sin. What would it mean to live as a person whose sin has been taken away? 
if you didn't have that low-level guilt that God was always disappointed with you, that when your name came across uh, God's mind, uh, that, that God wasn't shaking his head in frustration. This is what Scripture says Jesus has done. Because of Jesus, God has taken, Jesus has taken away the sin that we have, and it's been nailed to the cross once and for all, and it's complete. And all of the groveling that you do, all of the beating yourself up, it's not necessary. And that's why hymn writers for, for years and centuries have sung songs like, In Christ Alone, and On Christ's Solid Rock I Stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And if you try to put your weight on anything else, you're going to be pretty frustrated with yourself because check this out, listen to this. Can you name one day where you couldn't have done better? Can you name an hour where you could not have done better? See, a lot of us, myself included, we stand on the sinking sand of our performance and we don't run to, to God for the forgiveness of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And this is where we're going today. Uh, and this is a, a truth that you've got to get this uh, if you don't get anything else, that forgiven people forgive people. And this is what Jesus is getting at in this prayer, is that forgiven people forgive people. People that have tasted the forgiveness of God are able to forgive people. People that have truly received the gospel of grace, they're able to forgive other people. And if you try to put the cart before the horse, if you try to muster this thing up on your own willpower, uh, you're going to hit a couple of dead ends because it's impossible to do it on your own. And, but forgiving people still, no matter where you are, no matter how Jesus Jr. Christian you are, uh, it's one of the most difficult things in all of Christendom. Uh, it's one of the most difficult things that I've had to do. It's one of the most difficult things that I have to do on a regular basis uh, when people wrong you, people talk behind your back, and then you see them in the flesh, and you see them in the face, and now you have to learn what it means to stop blaming them, to stop being angry with them to stop requiring payment of them. Uh, forgiveness is incredibly difficult, and I don't want to minimize um, any of that pain and the frustration and the process in which it takes to actually forgive someone. Um, and forgiveness is really hard for a couple of reasons. Number one is that real pain has happened. Someone has really caused you pain. We're not talking about little play stuff where you can just you know, quickly get over it. I'm talking about real situations where real people have hurt you in real ways, uh, and that's not something that's easy. That's not something that uh, I want to dismiss or sweep under the rug. Uh, but I also know this, that real pain and real forgiveness are not mutually exclusive. And you can feel real pain and also learn what it means to forgive at the same time. A lot of us, when we hear the word forgiveness, uh, you think about your parent that was never there and your stomach starts to sink, a coworker that stabs you in the back, a friend that lied, a spouse that cheated, Whatever, the list goes long um, and on and on and on, and in real pain um, makes forgiveness not something that's an easy thing to do. And I don't want to minimize what people have done to you. It might really, really stink. Um, but still, you and I can learn what it means to forgive. Not only is it painful, um, we think that if we forgive someone, they won't know uh, how, they, don't know, they won't know what they did, how bad it was. So we think, listen, I got I to gotta hold this grudge for at least two years, <laughs> right? If I hold it for two years, then they'll know I ain't the one, <laughs> right? I ain't the one. You can mess with somebody else, but not me. And, and they'll know how bad they are. And if I forgive them, then it's like letting them off the hook, and they won't know how messed up uh, they truly are. Not only that, but um, forgiveness is really difficult because we confuse forgiveness with reconciliation, this is probably the biggest objection I get. I can't forgive them because that would mean this is and this. No, listen. Oh, they didn't apologize. Listen, forgiveness only requires you. 
Forgiveness is you to stop blaming someone. Forgiveness is you to not seek revenge on someone. Forgiveness is you and you only uh, releasing the debt, uh, stopping in your anger toward them. Reconciliation is a much different conversation. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. Case in point, uh, if you have a roommate that is the, room, uh, the nightmare roommate, every time she comes home, you buy a bag of flaming Hot Cheetos and she's eating the whole bag, and you come home really wanting those flaming Hot Cheetos and they are not there, she got like orange fingertips and you know it was her. <laughs> she leaves a uh, sink full of dishes, always late to pay her share of Time Warner, um, and she uh, always has loud music at the worst times, and she is the, the, the nightmare roommate. Now, forgiveness means you don't seek revenge against her, that you don't do petty, uh, uh, petty stuff to get back at her. That means that you, when her name comes up, you don't drag her name through the mud. You swallow it. You don't take those opportunities to let everybody else know what she has done to you and how terrible of a person she is. That's what forgiveness looks like. Reconciliation would mean you signing that lease again. You don't got to do that. <laughs> forgiveness is releasing the debt. Reconciliation requires, uh, it requires both parties being willing to work on things, both parties wanting to work on it, people confessing and apologizing and repenting of their wrongs and turning, and then maybe if both people want to come together, you can reconcile that relationship. But forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. And, and I want to be really specific about this. There are some people uh, who are even caught in really nasty, abusive relationships, and they feel that, man, if I forgive this person, that means I have to go back to being abused. And uh, listen, that's putting yourself in danger. Forgiveness is not putting yourself in harm's way. There were times in Scripture where it says the crowd tried to capture Jesus, and he escaped them. Jesus got up out of there. There was one time that one person had to suffer and die. Jesus, you are not Jesus. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same thing. Now, this is my personal favorite. Uh, forgiveness is painful, and we confuse it with a lot of different stuff, but forgiveness is also hard because we judge ourselves by our intentions and other people by their actions. Right? We judge ourselves based on our intentions. Well, I lied because there was so much stuff going on that day, and I didn't get any sleep. And listen, if you knew what was going on at work, uh, I was up against this deadline, and I didn't want to hurt their feelings or their feelings. And before you know it, your little lie was just a small little thing that you kind of happened to do. But when somebody lies to you, then it's a liar. That's it. Like, who, her? She a liar. Don't listen to her. <laughs> and that's it. We put a stamp on them, boom. That's what, she, that's what he is. That's what she is. And we judge people harshly by their actions. We judge ourselves based on our intentions. You know what that does? That makes us feel better than them. That makes us feel better. And, you know, what you do is not that bad, but what they've done is, is terrible. Now, last one, if forgiveness is difficult, because uh, I don't know that we think that we can do it. I don't know that we think we can. Uh, you've thought about what people have done to you. you thought about what, how people have hurt you, how people have put you down, uh, how people have disappointed you, and you're like, yo, I don't think that I can actually do it. Here's the good news of the Gospels that we can, and uh, it's found in following Jesus. Here we go. In Matthew 6, 12 through uh, 15, Jesus, as he's teaching us to pray, he says, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, this is very, very strange, uh, strong language that Jesus is using. Uh, and for the, if you've been coming to Renaissance for any number of time, I'm sure you've heard us talk about the gospel and that uh, we, you and I are undeserving people who get unconditional love from an unobligated giver, that God's love for us always comes before our good actions. And we've talked about very expressly, your relationship with God is not a transaction. It's not you putting a quarter in the vending machine and then something coming out. But what Jesus is saying here kind of sounds like, if you do this, then God will do this, right? Isn't that what it sounds like? Now, Jesus is not saying that, but what he does say is, is equally strong um, in, this, in this text. He's saying that forgiven people forgive people. And if you refuse to forgive people, it's a sign that you've ne actually never received God's forgiveness. I'm not talking about you struggling in the process to forgive someone. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you refusing to forgive someone is a sign that you have actually never tasted the forgiveness that Jesus offers. Let's dig in a little bit. Matthew 18, 21 to 35, the scripture that Lester read. Jesus tells a parable called the parable of the unmerciful servant. Uh, I'll, I'll paraphrase it a little bit. Uh, Jesus, his disciples, comes up to him and says, Jesus, how many times should we forgive? Seven times? It's a good number, right? I was going to say four, but listen, let's just bump it up to seven and uh, <laughs> see what Jesus says. Jesus says, not seven, 77 times. Now, Jesus wasn't just trying to be cute and do some alliteration. Jesus was trying to basically say, whatever level you think you need to forgive someone, no, no, God requires much more than that. That if you truly understood forgiveness, it would rise way above the level that you thought that we owe people forgiveness. And he tells a story. He says, imagine there's a man that owes a king 10,000 bags of gold or 10,000 talents um, and some scholars have estimated that this amount is so much, it's like $300 billion, which is like the rent for a two-bedroom apartment uh, <laughs> around here. And Jesus is talking extremely deliberately because he wants people to feel something. He wants his hearers, and he wants you and me, he wants us to feel something that imagine you were under the debt of something that no matter how well you invested, no matter how much you studied in school, you would never in 10 lifetimes, be able to pay that off. And this servant owes the king so much money that no matter how many times he worked, he would never be able to pay it off. So the king says, have him, his wife, and his kids thrown in prison and sell everything that they have. The man gets on his knees and is begging and pleading with Jesus, saying, Jesus, please, I mean, the king, please forgive. The king says, you know what? The king had pity on him, is what it says in verse 27. The king has pity on him, and he forgave the debt. Now, as soon as that happened, the man goes down, and he's, I'm sure, feeling pretty great. Um, he's on Amazon filling up his cart with all the stuff that he can buy, he, with all this extra money he has, and he bumps into someone that owes him 100 silver pieces. Now, if you're doing the math, uh, it's nowhere near, it's nowhere on the radar of 10,000 pieces of gold versus just a, a measly 100 pieces of silver, and this man comes to the, to, to the guy and says, hey, can you please forgive me? Now, the unmerciful servant says, absolutely not. Jailer, have him thrown in prison to pay back his debt that he owes me. Now, the king gets wind of what happened. Uh, he hears that this servant that he had just forgiven of so much was now unmerciful and unwilling uh, to forgive, and he has that man thrown in jail. And the scripture ends with Jesus saying, if, you, if this is how you act, then listen, this is how your heavenly father will treat you for not forgiving. And here's where we get to the good stuff in this, in this story. 
Jesus is getting at this, that if there's anyone that should be forgiving, it's someone that has been forgiven. If there's anyone that should be willing to get, forgive someone of something, forgive someone of a debt, it should be someone that knows that they are a forgiven person. Now, this is one of the illustrations I've heard. It says, imagine there are, are uh, two apple trees, right? And one apple tree just has all these beautiful, uh, delicious apples. Um, and there's another one right next to it with nothing on uh, the branches. Now, the, ap- the healthy tree is a sign that there is good stuff happening in the soil and that there's nutrition going on and that there's no blockages. But the other tree that's dead and dying um, is a sign that something is, is amazingly wrong with this tree. And here's what Jesus is getting at in this parable. If you are unwilling to forgive, you and I are not the apple tree with fruit on it. We are the tree that's barren. We're not a good tree. And what Jesus is saying is this, that there is something deeply, deeply wrong with our hearts. There's something deeply wrong with the way we say we understand the gospel if we are unwilling to forgive. Now, the, tree, the fruit on the tree doesn't make the tree alive. It does not make the tree alive. Simply having apples on an apple tree does not make it alive. There's a lot of, what makes it alive is the soil and the roots and all that stuff going on beneath the surface. But the fruit on the tree is evidence that that tree is connected that that tree is alive and healthy and growing. And this is what Jesus is saying about forgiveness. If our hearts are unwilling to forgive, then there is something fundamentally wrong with the way that we understand God. In other words, if you want to get a really good look at what you believe about God, take a look at how we treat people that have wronged us. If you want to get a really good look at how you understand God and how God has forgiven you and how you relate to God, take a good, hard look at how you treat people that have wronged you. And if the forgiveness that we have received at the cost of the blood of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is so ineffective that our hearts are bent on holding unforgiving grudges and bitterness, then we're not a good tree. And that's a sign that something is really wrong. Now, again, forgiveness is not easy, and I don't want to pour on burdens to, to hurt that has been done. But if you want to get a really good microscope at what's going on in your life, what you actually put your trust in, what you actually put your faith in, what you actually believe, the best microscope is what you do when somebody does you wrong. And are you willing to give forgiveness to someone else? And this is what Jesus is saying. If you're not, then it's a good sign that there is something fundamentally wrong with the roots. Now, forgiveness is an extremely hard process, uh, and there's three things that you got to do if you're going to learn what it means to forgive someone and to engage in a process of forgiving. And I don't say the process of forgiving lightly. It is a process, right? Forgiveness is a process. It does, it's not something that comes naturally to us. Uh, it's a process. Uh, first thing you got to do is, as we see in the scripture, uh, it says the king took pity on them. He canceled the debt, and he let them go. He let him go. He took pity on them. Uh, he canceled the debt, and then he let them go. So the first thing is to take pity on them. Um, and this is a scripture, uh, the verse in the scripture uses a word, uh, basically which says his heart went out to them. Uh, and this is what it means, that they could identify with the person that did them wrong. Now, this is extremely key, and I want you guys to get this. This is not identifying with what they have done to you. This is not saying that you would have done the same thing. This is simply identifying them, uh, identifying with them that you and them are both people that need grace. You and them are, 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 not, are, are on the exact same level with God, that you two are both sinners saved by grace, and that you need grace and they need grace. And the only way you'll be able to take pity on someone who has done you wrong is you've got to do two things. Number one, 
stop replaying the tape of what they've done to you. Right? The more and more you think about it, the more and more you play that tape, the bigger and more and more egregious it becomes. You guys seen the caricatures in Times Square or a great adventure where the people draw, um, they draw people in the cartoons. Um, what starts out, right, if you have big ears, for example, um, I'm not looking at anybody, I'm just going to look up. If you have big ears, no. they'll make your ears the same size as your head, right? And, and as soon as you look at that caricature, all you'll see is ears. Now, the same thing is true when we replay the tape of what somebody has done to us over and over and over and over again, that that thing grows. And now the only thing you can think about when you think about their name or you think about them is what they have done. And you've reduced them to this one small thing or one big thing that they did, and now they are not a, a complex person with a lot of struggles and different opportunities and obligations. They are this one person that just does this one thing. He is a liar. She is a liar. They are a hypocrite, period. And we replay the tape, and we get more and more and more angry. Now, there are places that you need to process what's going on in your life. I'm not saying never talk about it ever again. There need to be places where you can talk about stuff. However, uh, you and I, and I've, listen, I've done this. I hit, uh, it was like a Vine video going on and on and on and on, just replaying that same joint over and over and over again of what they did. And the more I thought about it, the angrier I got. And listen, if you're going to learn what it means to forgive someone, you have to, start, you have to learn to stop playing that tape. And number two, um, you have to do the internal work of reminding yourself how much, you, how much you are in need of God's grace. And this is the part that offends everybody. This is the part where people start to look at me mad. Um, uh, to remind yourself that you, not just them, you, you are in need of God's grace. And this is why we say forgiven people, forgive people. Now, this is not to identify with what they did. This is not to say that what they did and what you have done, this is, not to, this is not a tennis match going back and forth comparing you and them. This is simply saying that you and I are both humans and we are in need of God's grace because if you don't put yourself in that camp, if you put yourself uh, in, in the camp where it's you and God, it's you, know, you Jesus, and everybody else is below everybody, um, then you're going to have an impossible time learning what it means to forgive uh, because you're going to be thinking that you're better than they are. You're better. I would have never done that. How dare they? Who do they think that they are? And if you really want to learn what it means to take pity on someone, you got to, uh, A, stop, stop playing the tape, and B, uh, identify yourself as someone who also needs uh, grace. You can only stay mad at someone as long as you continue to feel superior to them. And I, we tell ourselves that we're better than they are, that we would have never done that. Now, the second thing is to cancel the debt. Um, this is what the the, the king did. He canceled the debt of, of the man. Uh, and this is what it would look like, especially if you're not dealing with money that you need to forgive someone with. Uh, what do you do when somebody, someone messes up your reputation? How do you cancel that debt? How do you cancel the debt of someone, a friend who betrayed you? Now, here, here's a couple of ways. Um, one way is to, to write down what is it they did to you and to write to yourself and think about it. What do I think they owe me because of what they did? What do they owe me? And I want you to decide to cancel that debt. And this is what it looks like practically. That means that when you get the opportunity to talk about them in front of other people, you don't take it. I remember uh, being at the church and uh, sitting around and everything was, everybody was acting like everything was all great. And I wanted to stand up and be like, yo, this dude right here, he's a hypocrite. Like during offering, just passing the plate around. <laughs> 
I wanted everybody to know, um, and at first, I'm not going to lie, I did. I took advantages of opportunities to, when his name came up in a conversation, of like, yeah, you know. <sighs> and, and took opportunities. This is what forgiveness means. It means that you release the debt. You're not seeking revenge. You're not seeking for them to be harmed. You're not seeking for their reputation to be harmed. You're praying for them. Oh, man. And here's what praying for people does. When you start your prayers and you're connecting to God and you're praying to God and you're asking, thinking about all the stuff that God needs to forgive you of and you pray for somebody else, you realize two things. One, that you are a human just like them. And two, that God has the power to change them just like he changes you. Cancel the debt. And this is the hardest thing. And three is to let them go. And this is a process uh, that you see happening in, in Matthew 18 where the king lets the man go freely. And for us, this is what it feels like. Uh, forgiveness is always granted before it's felt. You will always commit to forgiving somebody before you actually feel like you've forgiven them. Certainly, in the times that I had to forgive people and am forgiving people right now, um, you know who you are. That did, no, I'm kidding. None of you guys. It's a process that I commit to forgiving them. I commit to not replaying the tapes of what they did, and it was real. I commit to identifying myself with them that you, they and I are both people in need of God's grace, and I do this over and over and over again until finally my feelings catch up to my actions. This is a freebie. In everything you do, your feelings will eventually catch up to your actions, so much so that when marriage counselors meet with people and they say, you know, there's stories of a marriage counselor saying, hey, what's your spouse's favorite thing? And I'm like, I don't care what her favorite thing is. Like, as what, all the things she's done to me, I don't care. Or what's his favorite thing? And they're like, I'm not doing it. They say, hey, just do that for a month and see how you feel at the end of that month. And all the time, feelings will catch up to your actions. Same thing is true with people. Start praying for somebody that did you wrong. I dare you. And see what happens a month, two months, three months from now. Your feelings will catch up. And here's where we get into a problem. We think because I don't feel it, I won't do it. Uh, and scriptures like that command us to love your enemy and love your neighbor, they're not telling you to feel warm and fuzzy. They're not saying that when you think about your enemy, someone who did you wrong, that you would feel fantastic. They're saying commit to the process of loving actions toward them and watch your feelings catch up to that. Now, where do we find all of this energy and, and power to actually forgive people? Uh, it's not going to be in your willpower. If you're deciding right now that I'm, that's it, you know what? I'm going to do it. You're, you're going to fail. It's not in how good of a person you are. It's not in how strong you are. It's in the gospel. Romans 1, 16, uh, one of the most famous scriptures, it says, um, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, uh, for it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. I want you guys to look at that for a second. Romans 1, 16, it says, The gospel is the power of God. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And here's what it is in your life. The gospel is the power for you to forgive someone else. Because check this out, when you start to see yourself as an undeserving person that got grace, when you start to see yourself as someone that did not deserve it, when the king, uh, not at just the risk of his own kingdom, but at the cost of his own life, identified with you, and that Jesus, who didn't deserve to die, that God laid all of our sins on him, when we see that, when we see that truth, that is a gospel power that has the ability to melt our hearts one of the things I love about the story, uh, the king, uh, back in those days, um, money that they owed, a uh, money was basically all theirs. 
And like when Jesus is talking to people about whose face is on this coin, it says it's Caesar's. It wasn't like they had a big national bank where they printed money. Basically, all of the money was a king. So basically, in order for um, the king to forgive a debt of $300 billion, he was short $300 billion. Those 10,000 talents weren't coming back. He had to absorb it. Now, we say forgiven people forgive people because it's this truth right here. Unless that truth of the gospel moves your hearts, that there was a king named Jesus, and he came to this earth to pay a debt he didn't owe um, to, for people who couldn't pay it, and if you don't see yourself as that person that God forgave you when you didn't deserve it, the Bible says in Romans that, um, that Jesus Christ died for the ungodly, for people who didn't deserve God's grace, God extended that grace to them. And that's the gospel message. And that's the power that you and I have. And, and here's the part I love about it, that God's forgiveness is not just about you as a person, but about us as a people. In this prayer, we've seen Jesus saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's not just so you can get forgiveness. It's not just so that I can get forgiveness. It's so that us as a people would live as a family of God. Now, I know that there are thousands of thoughts swir swirling through your heads whenever we talk about forgiveness and some of the frustrations and um, questions uh, that you have. So please feel free to holler at me after service if you have anything uh, that you want to talk about. Let me, but let me pray for us right now as we are processing this. Uh, Heavenly Father, uh, you know um, all of the ways that we struggle with forgiveness, with feeling forgiven and also giving the forgiveness to other people. God, would you um, let the gospel work in our hearts so we would see how the lengths that you had gone to in Christ to redeem us, uh, the security we have in your, in your arms, and God, we would be willing to pour that forgiveness out on other people. God, give us patience with ourselves and with other people. Would you bless us in Jesus' pray? Amen and amen.